You can be seated. <clears throat> Boy, it was such a um, long week, uh, too much to go into, but yesterday was uh, just uh, such a crazy day and uh, lots going on and, and uh, had the Easter egg hunt and went and got a quick, quick bite, went to go see, uh, visit a couple people um, and uh, went to, had to run to Target, do run a couple errands at Target and I just needed to get a few things and uh, so I grabbed uh, one of the uh, baskets. I didn't need a cart. I just grabbed one of the baskets and went through and got some stuff and just sort of in a daze, just trying to think about, you know, you know what else I need to do the rest of that day and think about today and, and uh, buy all the stuff and get it into my car and I head home and I open up the back seat of my car and I realize I stole the Target basket <laughs> that... <laughs> You used to get your stuff. I, I, they bagged it, and then I put it in the Target basket, and I just walked out of the store, you know, like just, I didn't really, wasn't really bouncing. I was more like this, you know, like put it in the back of my car and get home, and I'm like, whoops, I stole something from Target, so I'll have to take that back later today uh, as far as they know, um, but, and you know. Uh, it's not handy to have around, I think, you know, so I don't know. I'm sure I'm not the only one that have done that. So, but uh, I want to uh, read to you um, John's account of um, uh, the resurrection story, and, and then we'll, we'll, we'll talk for a few minutes. But um, John chapter number 20, if you have a Bible, you can open it up. There's a Bible in your seat around you. Uh, you can have that. If you don't own a Bible, you can have that Bible in your seat around you. We'll also have it, have it up on the screens here. Uh, for you as well. John chapter number 20. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came early to the tomb while it was still dark and saw the stone already taken away from the tomb. And so she ran and came to Simon Peter and the other disciple whom Jesus loved. This is um, John t talking here. So John is, is describing himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. And the reason people ask that, why does he describe himself as the one who Jesus loved is because it's true. <laughs> um, but it's also true for you, and it's also true for me. He says, I'm the one whom Jesus loved, and he's, John's writing this. And he said to them, they have taken away the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter and the other disciple, John, went forth, and they were going to the tomb. The two men were running together. Now, this is what's so um, interesting about the Bible is that how specific and how detailed the Bible is with certain things, which is sort of like the writers of the Bible saying, you know what, um, we just want to make sure that you have every integral detail, every specific thing that you need necessary so that if you want to go back and fact check us, you can go ahead and do that. So they were tried to be very specific about it. So the two were running together. And the other disciple ran ahead faster than Peter came to the t and, and, and came to the tomb first. They're like, okay, John, now you're getting a little arrogant here. Like, simmer down, John. And stooping and looking in, he saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he did not go in. And so Simon Peter also came and followed him, following him, and entered the tomb, and he saw the linen wrappings lying there. And the face cloth which had been on his head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. So the other disciple, <laughs> who, had come, who had first come to the tomb, then also entered, and he saw and believed. He saw and he believed. 
You know, it's interesting. There's really no plausible explanation of why or how Christianity started. I mean, it's based around a man uh, who was a carpenter's son, came out of a town, sort of a podunk town called Nazareth. He um, was only in public figure only for about three and a half years. Jesus was just a public figure for about three and a half years or so. He never traveled more than 20 miles. He never traveled any more than 20 miles outside, outside of his hometown. Yet, um, everyone who has a faith system, every religious system, embraces him. Now, the way that Christianity views him is much different than the way you know, a Hindu views him or a Buddhist views him or a Muslim views him. But every faith system embraces him regardless of the fact that he never traveled 20 miles outside of his hometown. He only was a public figure for three, three and a half years, and he was just a carpenter's son. And the faith, this faith started at 120 people. It tells us that when Jesus ascended into heaven after he resurrected, when he ascended into heaven, that there was only 120 believers. But now, today, there's a third of the world who calls themselves Christians. There's no really plausible explanation for that. And in regards to all of that, his teachings were not all that easy. His teachings were, were very challenging. I mean, Jesus' teachings were love your enemy and pray for them. I mean, who, who can, who's good at that? Who can get that right? Love your enemy and, and pray for them. His, his teachings were things like you need to deny yourself and, and you need to take up your cross if you're going to follow me. Who who wants to deny themselves? I mean, he's, his, some of his teachings were, were, he would tell his disciples, you know that they, how they persecute me? That's going to happen to you, by the way. You know how I'm mistreated and you know how I'm abused? You know how I'm taken advantage of? That's going to happen to you guys, too. Who wants to follow that? Who wants to say, hey, sign me up for that. If they're, if they're ridiculing you and they're taking advantage of you and they're mistreating you and you're saying that that's going to happen to those who are your followers, who would want that? I mean, his teachings were borderline, borderline ridiculous. But that's, in, in, in all of the different faiths in the world, all of the different faiths, they say, you need to do what their, their leader says. You need to, whatever he taught, that you need to do those things. Whatever he, he taught, you need to follow those things. Whatever the leader claims, you need to listen to those things and honor those things. And that's what's going to get you into heaven. But not Jesus, people. Not Christianity. And one of the many reasons why Christianity is different is not because when after, you know, after a while, after the, the disciples came out of hiding and, and they started appearing to, you know, thousands of people, they didn't start telling the stories of the Good Samaritan, even though that's a good story, isn't it? They didn't start telling the stories of the prodigal son, even though that's a good story, isn't it? No, what they claimed after a while of coming out of hiding, what they claimed is on what they saw, not what Jesus taught. That the whole, the difference between Christianity and all other faith-based religions, any other world religions, the difference in Christianity is not based on the teachings of the leader, but based on what 
our leader did. And what he did was he rose from the grave. And their message was, here's what it was, three points. For hundreds of years, it was three points. Before the Bible was even put together, somewhere 300 years later, here's what their three points were. He died, now he's alive, and we've seen him. He died, you all saw that, he's alive, and we've seen him. Not anything to do with his teachings. Of course, who wants to love their enemy? Who wants to pray for them? Who wants to deny themselves? Who wants to follow somebody that says, hey, if you follow me, just like they persecute me, they're going to persecute you. Oh, and by the way, you know what else he said? You need to rejoice when they persecute you. Who wants to deal with that? But they became Jesus followers. Not because of what he taught, but because of what they saw. That's the difference. They saw him alive. That, that's the difference. You see, they then made the claim, and the Bible even writes this down. The Bible even tells us what they, would say, what they said would happen when they found the tomb was empty. That they would make the claim that the Bible was stolen. And so some even believe today that the Bible, was, the Bible claims that the, it was stolen, and some even make that claim today that the body of Jesus was, was stolen out of the, out of the tomb. Which is, but they've never been able to recover his body. And so they make this claim, but here's some reasons why I believe that that was impossible. Impossible. Because we know that they sent Roman, the Roman ruler, they sent guards to guard the tomb. And they didn't just do anything like halfway. They, when they guarded something, these Roman soldiers, by the way, these, were, these guys were killers. They were killers. When they guarded something, they didn't do it halfway. They would put 16 soldiers in front of the tomb. And Jesus was a public figure, and they sort of remembered him saying that he was going to, you know, resurrect from the grave. And so to make sure that they covered their bases, they made sure that they planted all 16 Roman soldiers in front of the tomb. Not to mention the fact that the stone that rolled over in front of the tomb of the cave where Jesus was placed in, that stone itself was two tons. Two tons. So not only is there 16 Roman soldiers, there's a two-ton rock in front of it. And not only that, but around the stone that covered the entranceway of the cave where Jesus was placed in, they would place a a wax-like ring around it, and it would seal it up. It would seal it up. And so there's three things, three, I believe, reasons, plausible reasons why it was no, there was no way that anybody could have stole the body. The based on the weight of the stone, the wax ring around it, and the 16 Roman soldiers that were placed in front of it. And here's the biggest problem. The biggest problem is this. Too many people saw him alive. After they saw him die. We're going to get there in a minute. But Paul says that there was over 500 people. Who saw him alive. In most other religions. Their faith begins generations later. But not Christianity. Not Christianity. Literally days after they saw Jesus alive. 
and after they saw him ascend into heaven, literally days later, they began writing the stories and the accounts of Jesus and began making copies upon copies upon copies of what he did and what he said and where he went and all the things that he you know, did on, on his time on earth. They began writing and writing and writing and writing. And, and not only that, but people that were like cowards before that and were now being bold, like Peter, who was once a buffoon coward, but now he's like this create, courageous, you know, bold man proclaiming the gospel gospel saying his three points he died you know he's now alive and we've seen him thousands and thousands and I mean thousands of people were coming to faith in Jesus you say why is that a big deal well here's why it's a big deal because the Jewish people were already considered to be God's chosen people why would they go out of the way to all of a sudden, just in a moment, change their religion that they've been following for thousands of years before that? And they were considered to be God's chosen people. Why would they do that? There's only one explanation. It's because they saw him die and they saw him alive. That's it. And that's what Easter's about but not only that but here's the other difference and here's the best one i think the other difference between all other faith-based religions and christianity is that their leader their leader lived died and stayed dead they, they, they don't even make the claim like Whoever, Buddha, Muhammad, whatever maybe he they he lived, they probably were good men, did good things, and they died and they stayed dead. That's not Christianity. They said he lived and he died, but he didn't stay dead. And he rose from the grave. I once asked a Muslim this at a conference that I was at. I once asked a Muslim this. I said, why did you become a Christian? Why did you become a Christian? And he said this to me. He said, you know, it's like, like this. He said, it's like walking down a road and you come into a fork in the road. And you have to figure out when you get to that fork in the road where to go from there. Where to go from there. He says, and at the fork in the road, there's a dead man on one fork and a live man on the other. He said, when it comes to this, where I need to go, I'm going to ask the one who's alive where to go. And this is, I said, that's it right there. This is the difference between, and, and this is like such an unbelievable claim. And if you're skeptical of the Christian thing, I get that. If you're like, I don't know if I can buy this, I understand that. Listen, they had those issues too. The claims that Christianity makes and the reason why a third of the world is Christian is because not based on what they believe, but based on what they believe people saw. And the way that they covered themselves and the way that they tracked it and the way that they went about it. That's what the claims are. And I know it sounds absolutely absurd. But the evidence shows that it happened. Christian, it happened, right? We know that it did. We know that it did. 
we know that the, based on the behavior of the disciples and how they were what they acted before Jesus died and how they acted after Jesus died. We know that how quickly the church began to explode and to grow. But there was validity to their claims. We know that there was way too many people who were able to hide and keep that hoax to themselves. They know that as they began writing things that people would have fact-checked them and made sure that those things were true or not. And Christianity would have died years and years and years ago if they weren't true. That our base, our faith is based on one truth. And that is that he is alive. And the reason why the church of Jesus exists is because of the resurrection of Jesus. There was people whose lives were radically changed, and these people were skeptics. They were skeptics. For example, James, who was the brother of Jesus, he wrote a a, a book in the New Testament called James. And James was the brother, half-brother of Jesus, and he wrote this this book. And and you can see in the Gospels how James and the rest of his family thought that he was a little crazy. They thought that Jesus was a little crazy based on his claims, which was understandable. But then you see that after James saw Jesus alive, that everything changed for him. As a matter of fact, there's this historian who's a non-Christian historian who wrote about the death of James, the brother of Jesus. And he described it as a, a, a place where, you know, he was stayed firm in his faith and what he believed to be true about his own brother, that his own brother was the son of God. And that he was willing to die for it. That he was willing to be, and what happened was, according to this non-Christian um, historian, says that he was stoned to death. And while they were hurling rocks at him, he was praying for them, just like his brother did when his brother hung from a cross. How would that happen? That happened because James, who once thought that his brother Jesus was a little crazy, now discovered that his brother, who now is beaten death and is now alive, truly is the savior of the world. As a matter of fact, not too long ago, they found a, a bone box. And they used bone boxes somewhere around, you know, the first century B.C. up until about 70 A.D. They used these bone boxes. And these archaeologists built, uh, brought up this bone box out of this cave. And, it, and written on the bone box in this cave was said this. It said, James... The son of Joseph, and then it said this, the brother of Jesus. Now, skeptic people said, you know what, uh, that's probably forgery. You know, they had multiple experts look at the inscription, and they confirmed that it was written somewhere in the 60 AD, right around the time where this non-Christian historian said James died. And all this other evidence, laboratory things that said that they didn't use modern tooling in this inscription at all, all of these other things describe the fact that James, on his own bone box, the brother of Jesus, 
wrote, had written, James, the son of Joseph, the brother of Jesus. He was once skeptical, but he saw his brother alive, and it changed everything for him. The Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 15, it says this in verse number 3. He says, for I delivered to you as the first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. Verse 4, and that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. Now, Paul is writing this letter to this church in Corinth, and he's referring to, when he says the scriptures, he's referring to the Old Testament scriptures. He, he's re referring to Judea, Judaism scriptures. That's what he's referring to. And, he, and he's telling them, like, you know when you read the Old Testament, that, that it's prophesized of the Christ to come. That they, written all through the Old Testament, there's, there's writings of things that said, you know, here's what you need to look for. Here's what you need to see. Here's what you need to know when this, when this Christ comes. This is what you need to look for. And this is what he's referring to. He's saying that all through the Old Testament scriptures points to the person who lines up with the person of Jesus. Now, in 1947, there was a shepherd named Muhammad. And the shepherd named Muhammad was, was looking for a goat that he lost. And he was going through the hills near the Dead Sea, and he was coming up to this cave to where he thought his goat went into. And he threw a rock into this cave. And he heard a clay jar break. And he thought that that was weird. So Muhammad goes into the cave and he notices inside this cave in 1947 that inside this cave are clay jars of old written manuscripts everywhere. They discovered over a thousand written manuscripts. And you know what they found on them? They found on them and they verified that those dated from between 250 B.C. to 66 A.D. They found over a thousand written, copied manuscripts dating back all the way to 250 B.C. of the Old Testament books. Old Testament books. That these Essenes that were Jewish scribes, they spent the time in caves and what their job was to make copies and copies and copies of all of these, what we know as our Old Testament books. And the beauty of that is this, that they found a, a chapter and they found all of the Old Testament books. They found a chapter in there dating back 150 years before the birth of Jesus. And they found a chapter in there, what we now know as Isaiah chapter 53. And I'm going to read to you what Isaiah 53 says and what they found that dated back 150 years before that. It says this in verse number 4 in Isaiah 53. Surely he took up our pain. Now this was written 150 years before the birth of Jesus. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by punished. Uh, considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was, verse, he says, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. 
The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. It says this, and we all are like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord had laid on him the iniquity of us all. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days, and, will, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. And he has suffered, and he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my, righteousness, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. 150 years before the birth of Jesus, these scribes wrote down who the Christ would look like. And it matches up perfectly with Jesus. 150 years before Jesus came. And it matches up perfectly, perfectly with Jesus. And we have evidence of that fact. We have proof of that fact. That it lines up exactly with him. And this is what Paul was referring to when he said according to the scriptures. He says you need to go back and you need to look what was written hundreds of years before Jesus was even born. This is what he looks like. And then it says in verse number 5. It says this in, in 1 Corinthians. He says, and then he appeared to Cephas, which is Peter. Then to the twelve, the disciples. And after that, he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. Paul says, listen, there are people still here, still alive, that saw him alive. Over 500 brethren all at one time. Not only that, but Peter saw him alive. Not only that, he says, James saw him alive. He says in verse 7, and then he appeared to James then to all the apostles. And then he says this, And last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me also. Paul says, he even showed himself to me. And Paul was also a skeptic. Paul went so far to say that he was, you know, a persecutor of the church. He was the one who was associated with the murders of people who claimed to be Christians. Paul was the one that said, you know what, I don't want to see this thing called Christianity advance any further. I'm going to do everything that I can to stop it. That was what Paul did. But Paul says, I now saw him alive and it changed everything for me. And it was once Saul the persecutor. Now he's known as Paul the apostle. And it changed everything for him because of one truth. He saw him alive. He says in verse 9, for I am the least of the apostles. And not fit to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. He says this, verse 10. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace towards me did not prove vain. But I labored even more than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God with me. Here's the deal. One of the differences... Another one of the differences between Christianity and all of the other faiths is this. Is that we don't have to earn our way into a good standing with God. Because none of us deserve it. None of us. 
All of us are like Paul in a way when, where we are sinners and, and, and we fall short of God and, and, our, and our sin and our brokenness separates us from God. But here's the good news for all of us today is that we were given grace. And grace is a gift that cannot be earned, only given. That you and I can't, based on our behavior, based on our good standing, based on our morals, we cannot get to God. It's only by the grace of God that we can know what it means to have life. We can know what it means to be forgiven. It's only the grace of God. It's the grace of God that was extended to every single person based on what Jesus did on a cross. It was grace that was given to every single one of us, and it was a gift, and you and I didn't earn it. You and I don't deserve it. It's only a gift from God. And whether you're James, a skeptic, or whether you're Paul, a skeptic, the grace is still extended to you. Whether you're like, I don't know where I stand with all of this resurrection thing. I understand all that. But listen, it doesn't mean that grace isn't extended to you. Because what Jesus has done for us is this amazing picture. And I want to show it to you by using some storage bins, okay? This is what I call the storage bin gospel, all right? Here's you. Okay, everybody see you? See you? Okay, here's what happened. You and I were in sin, okay? You and I were in sin. Sin separated us from God. Sin forever disconnected us from a holy God who is without sin. And that's where, where we all start in life. That you and I are without, are in sin. That's where you and I are. We can't get to God. We don't deserve God. We haven't earned God. That's where you and I are. You and I were in sin. Then God sent his son Jesus. And God sent his son Jesus as a gift of grace for us. That Jesus came and he paid the penalty of sin and death for us. That's what Jesus did. That Jesus paid the penalty of sin and death for us. So not only were we in sin, but death was in us. You see death? You see you? We're in sin. Death was in us. But he came and he took on the penalty of sin and death for us. So you and I can know what it means to be given grace. So that grace can be extended to every single one of us. So Christ came, died in our place for us on the cross, took on the penalty of sin for us from a righteous, just God, what we deserved, what we should have gotten, the punishment and the pain that we should have gotten. That's why Isaiah 53 says, for he was bruised for our iniquities, he was wounded for our transgressions. The punishment of us all was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. And he came, and he took on death for us, so that those who put their faith in him will no longer be in death and sin, but will now be in Christ. Isn't this a better place to be? That we are no longer in sin and death anymore. Death is no longer in us. But now what we have is that we now have life. 
We now have life. This is a different perspective on storage bins, isn't it? We now have life in Christ Jesus. Because not only did Jesus come and he took on sin and death for us, he beat death. Death lost its sting, according to 1 Corinthians 15, if you keep reading. Death lost its sting. He gave us in replace. He gave us life. Now life is in you. No longer death is in you. Life is in you. Christian, are you with me? Life is in you now. And now that life is in you, you are in Christ. And that is a much better place to be than death being in you and you in sin. This is much better, isn't it? Much better. And it says that Christ was in God. So, it, And we can take this a little further if we wanted to. And I'm going to right now because I want to. And so Christ was... In God too. So here's where you are now if you put your faith and your hope in Christ. Believing that he beat death. Because that's what all of Christianity hinges on. It was the fact that he beat death. And because he beat death, life comes into you. And you go into Christ. And Christ is in God. And somewhere in there is you. But this is a better place to live. Because in here, there's more forgiveness. In here, there's more peace. In here, there's more goodness. In here, there's more love to be had. And there's more love to be dispensed in here. There is more faithfulness in here. There is more joy who wants some more joy in your life I mean, I'm not talking happiness. I'm talking joy You need and I need joy and I need peace and you need peace and in here. That's where you find that not in here Not in here This is despair. This is pain. This is struggle. This is battling but in here, well, there's life in here. There's goodness in here. Oh, by the way, this is grace, by the way. Because what you and I deserve is not, certainly not life in us, but what you and I deserve is sin and death. That's what you and I deserve. But Paul says, by the grace of God, I am what I am. And because grace was given to me, I'm now in Christ and life is now in me and Christ is in God and I'm in God. And therefore now I can get to God right now. That's the only way to God. Jesus said, I am the way and I am the truth and I am the life and nobody comes to the Father unless it's through me. And you're not going to get to the Father in this way. And the best way out of this is just simply, Jesus said, I'm going to make it as simple as I possibly can for you. All the evidence is out there, by the way. You can do your own investigation. You can do your own research. Very, very um, smart, intelligent people have done their due diligence and have investigated Jesus. And they have found that they're wrong. So maybe, just maybe, you might be wrong. And if I'm wrong... Well, and if most of you in this room are wrong, who cares? I've got a good life. I serve people. I love people. I feel joy. I have a peace that passes all understanding and a joy unspeakable, full of glory. I get to live that. And if I'm wrong, well, we're in the same boat. But if you're wrong, trouble. But I don't think I'm wrong. Not to be arrogant. I think that I have life in me and I am in Christ and in God and therefore I get to go and be with God. You know what I don't want to live? 
I don't want to live. Because Paul says, he goes on and says that, man, if we live for this life without, if Jesus never resurrected from the grave, if we live in this life, you know what he said? He says, we are, we're going to be all pitied. We should be, feel pity. You should feel pity for me if, if, if all we have is this life. So you know what we do? We live for this right here. We live for the orange. The orange represents our life here on earth. That's what it represents. We live for this. We, we want the best out of this. We hope to achieve much in this. And listen, this is a good place to start. This is where we're all supposed to start. But in this, here's what you need to understand. In this, if all we're doing is living for this, all we're doing is living for this, we're missing it. It's not worth it. It's not worth going through the heartaches and the troubles and the battles and the struggles. Listen, that's not where my hope is in. It's my hope is not in this short life that we have. By the way, are you realizing how quickly life goes? Life moves pretty fast right now, doesn't it? I mean, you have to understand, the Bible says it's like a vapor. It's here one minute and it's gone the next. But I'm not living for this life. That's not what I'm living for. And I don't think that I'm supposed to live for this life. Because what I'm told is, based on what the resurrection of Jesus has done for us, that he has cut the path for us to be with him for all of eternity. And so therefore, for all of eternity, you know what happens to me? That at the end of my life, at the end of my life, death can't hold me. And death can't hold you in Christ Jesus. When you're in this, death doesn't hold you. It doesn't. When you are at the end of your life and you breathe your last breath and you are in this, you are in Christ Jesus and you, Christ is in God and you now therefore get to God. Here's what happens to you and to me. We get to, for all of eternity, leave this place. For all of eternity. We get to go and we get to live for something more than just the yellow tape or the orange tape or whatever color that was. We get to live for something more than that that stretches out for all of eternity as far as you can see, as far as you can imagine. This is what we get to live for because of what Christ Jesus has done for you and for me, and it goes on and on. And Brent, you dropped my extension, extension cord, but no big deal. <laughs> this is what the resurrection of Jesus has allowed us to experience. That we don't have to live for this, the short life that we have. That we live beyond that. That our life in Christ goes beyond that. And that's where my hope is, and I hope that's where your hope is in Christ Jesus. This is way better than this. And we only have this because of one foundational truth. He died, but he didn't stay dead. He's alive. And Matthew and Mark and Luke and John and Paul and Peter and James and Mary 
and another Mary and Joanna and whoever 500 plus people saw him alive after they saw him die. And because of that, our life goes on past the short little time we have here on earth. And I hope that you, your desire is to know that there's hope and there's life outside of this life. Because if there isn't, whew, we should be pitied. We should be pitied. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes if you would. The last thing I want to do is embarrass you or feel and not understand what you're feeling or uncertainty of what you're feeling, but I said I want to just help you get to where you can know where you are in Christ and Christ's life is in you. I want to help you with that. I, you've never made a decision for Jesus before in your life. I want to help you with that right here, right now. You don't have to get up out of your chair. I, I can just help you right where you're sitting right now. You say, yeah, I, I, I think there's something going on inside of me right now that I think this, this is real, this is true, I believe this. I, I hope that you don't ignore that. Don't ignore that right now. That you say, man, I want to be in Christ. I don't want to be in sin, and I don't want to be in death. I want to be in Christ, and I want death out of me, and I want life in me. And I want to know that I can get to the Father, not based on my merit, but only based on grace only based on grace. So the Bible tells us that we are to just confess our sins, confess the fact that we're broken, confess the fact that we're separated because of our, our sinfulness. We can't get to God because he's holy and we're not. And it's simply just confessing that right here and right now in this moment. And if you're wanting to do that right here and right now, I'm going to lead you in a, just a prayer. But it's not really a prayer. It's just a confession. It's a confession of the fact that what you probably already know inside of you is true. That you're broken and you're a sinner and need a savior. It was true for me and that's okay. And it was true for many people in this room. And that's all good. It's because, but the good news is, the great news is, is that grace was extended to us. And it was a given as a gift. And it wasn't something that you have to earn just given as a gift and I want you to receive that gift today I want you to receive that grace today if you've never received it before so I'm going to lead you in a prayer if you can pray follow right after me Jesus I know that I'm a sinner and I need a savior I am dead in my sins and I need life through you. Would you come into my heart and would you be my savior? In Jesus' name. Listen, I just want to say how grateful I was to have you today. And hopefully, if you made a decision for Christ today, I would love to meet you. I would love to know about that. And I would love to help you with that. And we have other people that are here, too, that would love to help you with that as well. If you made a decision for Christ today, would you please come and before you leave, let me know. 
There's probably lots of other food out there still. The donut wall, I don't know where the donut wall is, if it's still intact or not, but, but that was cool, huh? We're, we're going to make the donut wall a thing from now on. The donut wall... The donut wall is not going anywhere. The donut wall is staying right where it's at. I don't know. I'm not a big fan of pink, but, um, but we'll have to change it up a little bit. But we'll, the donut wall will always be here, and hopefully you come back and join us uh, ne- next week as well. Let's pray, and I'll have you get out of here. Lord, thanks again for the time together. Thanks for the truth of your word. God, thanks for challenging us. Thanks for speaking to our hearts. Thank you for extending your love to us when we didn't deserve it. We didn't earn it, but you gave us grace. You gave grace to James when he thought you were crazy. You gave grace to Paul when he was killing Christians. You gave him grace. You give us grace when we don't deserve it. And because of that, we are no longer in sin and death, but we are now in you and in life. We have life now that gets us to have access to to you for all of eternity. Thank you for that. Thank you for that. That's what we celebrate here today. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Have a happy Easter, everybody.